0: Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: I'm Margaret Brennan, and today on Face the Nation, a winter whiteout in parts of New England as a blizzard with hurricane-force winds rocks the Northeast. Plus, we'll talk with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb about the new Omicron variant. How concerned should you be? Then, President Biden vows he'll make good on his promise for an historic pick for the Supreme Court as Justice Stephen Breyer announces his retirement. We'll talk to two key players when it comes to the confirmation. South Carolinians Republican Lindsey Graham and Democrat Jim Clyburn will be with us. Overseas, Ukraine's president insists the showdown with Russia just isn't as dire as the U.S. and Europeans warn. We'll have a report from Eastern Ukraine and check in with Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Markarova, and one of the Biden administration's top diplomats, Ambassador Victoria Newland. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. There's a lot to get to today, but we begin with that massive winter storm that walloped the northeast, bringing with it at least two feet of snow, hurricane force winds, and coastal flooding. Our Mola Lange reports from Boston. Mola?
2: Well, good morning, Margaret. It was a relentless and historic single-day snowstorm here in Boston. There was more snow here yesterday than the city averages the entire month of January throughout Massachusetts plows faced whiteout conditions as the rate of the blinding snowfall made it a challenge for those cleanup crews to keep up. The storm also whipped up waves Saturday, battering the entire New England coastline. Images from space show the bomb cyclone bearing down on the northeast, dumping more than two feet of snow winds gusted as high as 83 miles per hour on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. A couple hundred thousand homes and businesses lost power in the state, and tens of thousands are still without power today. A majority of flights, thousands of them, were canceled at major airports in the mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. This morning, the snow has finally lit up, but we're not yet in the clear, with much of the region now digging out and concerned about a deep freeze. The entire eastern seaboard was somehow, someway, impacted by this storm system as far south as florida which felt freezing temperatures plows are working on the roads again this morning they continue to do that uh, trying to clear them not only for the utility crews that have to restore power but also getting them ready for the monday morning work and school commutes margaret
1: mola langi in boston thank you we turn now to the covid 19 pandemic where despite a decline in hospitalizations and new cases Deaths are still rising, and the virus is still highly transmissible. Community spread is in the high range across the country, and a new variant of Omicron has raised new concerns. Mark Strassman reports.
3: Finally, a COVID update not
4: steeped in dread. We continue to move toward a time when COVID won't disrupt our daily lives, a time when COVID is no longer a crisis. New COVID cases
3: down sharply hospitalizations down encouragingly, but Omicron's overall milder impact comes with a qualifier.
5: Milder does not mean mild, and we cannot look past the strain on our health systems and substantial number of deaths.
3: A wintry sorrow. We're now averaging 2,300 COVID deaths a day, many preventable.
6: We have been trying to scream at the top of our lungs to say how bad it is.
3: Roughly 100 million eligible Americans have yet to get fully vaccinated.
7: We've done everything that we we could. Ultimately, the decision does come back down to the individual what, what choice they want to make.
3: After two months of runaway infections, Omicron's generally relaxing its headlock on American life. Only nine states, Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico, still require indoor masking regardless of vaccination status. San Francisco will ease its mask mandate starting Tuesday. And in Roanoke, Virginia... It's time to stop refusing parents their right to parent. The school board agreed, masking's optional starting next month. But daycare centers remain worrisome with kids too young for vaccines. The CDC's new guidance, providers should get boosted and tested at least once a week. Something to keep an eye on a new sub variant nicknamed stealth Omicron. Detected in roughly half the states, preliminary findings show it's even more contagious. This truly is the virus that wouldn't leave.
1: Margaret, Mark Strassman. Thank you. We go now to former FDA commissioner and Pfizer board member, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who made it out of the snowstorm in Connecticut and down here to Washington, D.C. this morning. That is dedication, doctor. Thank you. Thank you. Um, There is a new variant of concern. B.A.2. The CDC says it's already here in the United States. How concerned do we need to be?
4: Yeah, the question is, does this change the decision space? I don't think it does. I don't think it really changes the narrative. It maybe perhaps extends the tail on the decline that we're seeing across the country. Um, there's some critical questions. Is it more contagious? It appears to be more contagious. Data out of Denmark from the Serum Institute suggests that it's about 1.5 times more contagious than the strain of Omicron that has made it around the U.S.
1: Which is already so transmissible. Exactly.
4: Does it evade our immune system? Does it evade the immunity that we've acquired from Omicron infection or the vaccines? Most of the evidence so far, and it's preliminary, suggests it does. in fact, there's data out of the U.K. that suggests that a fully boosted person may be more protected against this new variant than they were against the original strain of Omicron. And in the Final question is, is it more virulent? Is it more dangerous? And so far, based on what we've seen out of Denmark and the UK, which are collecting very good data on this, it doesn't appear to be a more virulent strain.
1: So if you had Omicron, can you be reinfected with this version?
4: You should be protected. So the the mutations in this new version are not in the receptor binding domain on the spike protein. That's the portion of the spike protein that we develop our best antibodies against that neutralize the virus. Most of the mutations are on a separate part of the spike protein called the N-terminal domain. So if you had Omicron infection, you should have protection against subsequent infection from this new variant. That's why I don't think this is going to create a a huge wave of infection. What's likely to happen is as we were coming down and we're coming down quite sharply in parts of the northeast florida the mid-atlantic you might see as this new strain starts to pick up you might see that we start to slow down in that decline but the decline will happen nonetheless right now it represents probably about five percent of infections in the u.s and we have so much omicron immunity that's probably going to be a backstop against this really taking off
1: so you know, and we talked about it there, uh, every time that there is an infection these child care centers have to shut down. That creates practical problems for parents who want to go out and participate in the economy, they want to show up for work. I mean, this is a drag for the country. The CDC issued new guidance to child care centers. It recommended toddlers remain masked, it lowered the recommendation for isolation post infection to about 5 days. Is this prudent? Is this good health policy along with economic policy? Well, look,
4: I think they're doing all they can do, but the guidance really focuses on trying to prevent spread within the daycare center. I think we need to focus a little bit more attention on trying to prevent introduction into those settings because once you get an infection in that setting, it's hard to control. You know, you got kids who don't wear masks very well. I think it's hard to ask a two- or three-year-old to wear a mask. Even if you keep them in social pods, they're going to play together. So it's hard to control transmission within that setting. I think we should be focusing more on trying to keep the infection out in the first place Mm
1: -hmm. well but to that point and you know what because I ask you almost every week because my own kids can't get vaccinated uh, that that's just going to continue to be a risk right until the youngest children four and under can get a vaccine so this portion of the puzzle um, if, if a vaccine is greenlit for the youngest Americans does it unlock everything else does this start to move us back to normal
4: I don't think it unlocks everything else for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of, we're seeing a lot of parents with young kids aren't getting their kids vaccinated. Only about 25% of kids five to 11 have been vaccinated. It's been very disappointing. About 18% have been fully vaccinated. So I suspect that there's gonna be some hesitation with the youngest kids as well. We can't fully explain that. Also, while the vaccines prevent infection, so if a fully boosted adult, has probably a 50% lower chance of getting infected in the first place with that vaccine. They're not they're not 90% protective, and probably in the younger kids they're gonna be a little less protective against infection. So you're still gonna see kids be able to get infected even if they're vaccinated. What the vaccine's gonna do is protect them from bad outcomes, and we've seen a lot of bad outcomes with kids. There is some indication, if you listen to federal health officials, that they may be rethinking the vaccine in, zero, in six months to four years old. And I'm hopeful that you could see some movement on trying to entertain that application earlier. Ultimately, the decision resides with FDA, mm-hmm. but there is some indication that there may be an earlier action on that application.
1: Dr. Fauci said this week the best or that it would be a three-dose regimen for the youngest. You said best case would be March. Are you sticking with that?
4: Well, look, if, the, if federal health officials in the agency decide to authorize this on the basis of two doses, it could be out much sooner. And I think the decision matrix has changed around the vaccine for, for six months to four-year-olds. And so far as we know that the vaccine isn't as protective at preventing infection. Previously, we had data showing that the childhood vaccine for, four, for six months to four years wasn't as protective at, against infection as the adult vaccine. That's the reason why they pushed it out and asked for that third dose. But now, if, if the goal of the vaccine is to get baseline immunity in the kids to prevent really bad outcomes and you're really not using the vaccine as a tool to prevent infection in the first place two doses could do that getting two doses into a child can provide baseline immunity that protects them from severe disease from hospitalization and i think that may be why federal health officials are rethinking this if in fact they decide to authorize this on the basis of two doses it could be out much sooner perhaps as early as early march
1: that could be A big development. Um, We mentioned there our Mark Strassman was reporting on San Francisco being the first major city to roll back its indoor mask mandate here in D.C. that just extended it to uh, end of February at least. Is there a clear benchmark yet for when health measures should be
4: Yeah, this is going to be a real challenge. So right now, you look at a lot of the federal health guidance, and it says that these measures should be lifted when there's low prevalence. The CDC defines low prevalence as 10 cases per 100,000 people per day. That was the old measure. In the age of Omicron, with a much more contagious variant, and with the fact that the population has a lot of immunity, so we're less susceptible overall, we may need to rethink that. We may need to decide that once we get to 20 cases per 100,000 per day, that may be the point at which we start to withdraw these things. I'm not so sure we're going to get to 10. Anytime soon. Right now, Washington, D.C. is at 50, New York's at 75. With this new Omicron strain that's circulating, we may stall out around 20, and that may be the point when we have to consider withdrawing a lot of these measures.
1: Okay. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you so much. Good to see you in person. And Face the Nation will be back in one minute.
2: Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas, and you don't know where to start. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked
4: Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: President Biden has promised to name a black woman to replace Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. Contenders include Katenji Brown Jackson of Washington DC, Leandra Kruger of California, and Michelle Childs of South Carolina. The only potential nominee that the White House has publicly acknowledged being under consideration is Childs. South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham joins us from Clemson, South Carolina, this morning. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning. Uh, as you know, uh, coming up on this program, Congressman uh, Jim Clyburn, he has said repeatedly in interviews that South Carolina Federal District Judge Michelle Childs, not only as someone he likes, but that both South Carolina Republican senators will support her. So he's talking about you. Did you tell him you're a yes vote on Childs?
7: Here's what I'll tell him in the nation. I I can't think of a better person uh, for uh, President Biden to consider for the Supreme Court than Michelle Childs. She has wide support in our state. She's considered to be a fair-minded, highly uh, gifted uh, jurist. Uh, she's one of the most decent people I've ever met. It would be good for the court to have somebody who's not at Harvard or Yale. She's a graduate of the University of South Carolina, a public education background. She's been a workers' comp judge. She's highly qualified. She's a good character. And we'll see how she does if she's nominated. But I cannot say anything bad about Michelle Child. She is an awesome person.
1: That that sounds like pretty close to yes. You're a yes vote.
7: <laughs> well, what, I'm not. I don't know if she's going to be nominated. If she's yeah. nominated, she will not be treated like Judge Kavanaugh. I promise mm-hmm. you, by Republicans. Let's see how she does at the hearing. But I think I made it pretty clear that I'm a big admirer yes, of uh, you did. Judge Charles, and and I'd <laughs> like to see the court have a have a little more balance, some common sense on it. Everybody doesn't have to be from Harvard and Yale. It's okay yeah. to go to a public university and get your law degree.
1: Well, you have been glowing in your descriptions, but your colleague, Senator Roger <laughs> Wicker of Mississippi, said picking a female black Supreme Court justice is affirmative racial discrimination. He questioned her any potential um, uh, impartiality from any of the candidates named. Um, Nikki Haley of South Carolina also tweeted the president should not have a race or gender litmus test. President Reagan promised to nominate a woman, Sandra Day O'Connor. So why is this different?
7: Well, it's not different to me. uh, Put me in the camp of making sure the court and other institutions look like America. You know, we make a real effort as Republicans to recruit women and people of color to make the party look more like America. Affirmative action is picking somebody not as well qualified for past wrongs. MICHELLE CHILDS IS INCREDIBLY QUALIFIED. THERE'S NO AFFIRMATIVE ACTION COMPONENT IF YOU PICK HER. SHE IS HIGHLY QUALIFIED. AND PRESIDENT REAGAN SAID RUNNING FOR OFFICE THAT HE WANTED TO PUT THE FIRST FEMALE Mm -hmm. ON THE COURT. WHETHER YOU LIKE IT OR NOT, JOE BIDEN SAID I'M GOING TO PICK AN AFRICAN-AMERICAN WOMAN TO SERVE ON THE SUPREME COURT. I BELIEVE THERE ARE PLENTY OF QUALIFIED AFRICAN AMERICAN WOMEN, CONSERVATIVE AND LIBERAL, THAT COULD GO ON TO THE COURT. SO I DON'T, that, I don't SEE MICHELLE Childs AS AN ACT OF AFFIRMATIVE ACTION. I DO SEE PUTTING A BLACK WOMAN ON THE COURT, MAKING THE COURT MORE LIKE AMERICA. IN THE HISTORY OF OUR COUNTRY, WE'VE ONLY HAD uh, FIVE WOMEN SERVE mm-hmm. AND TWO AFRICAN AMERICAN MEN. SO LET'S MAKE THE COURT MORE LIKE AMERICA. BUT QUALIFICATIONS HAVE TO BE THE, the, the BIGGEST CONSIDERATION. And as to Michelle Childs, I think she's yeah. qualified uh, All right. by every measure.
1: All right, Senator, I, I want to move on to Ukraine. Uh, Senator Menendez, Democrat on another program this morning, said uh, they're nearing bipartisan agreement on a package of sanctions, some of yeah. which would put sanctions on Russia now, <clears throat> some later. I know you're part of the right. talks. I know you want sanctions now. So what exactly are you right. pushing for? What needs to be hit?
7: Uh, more. More against Russia, more for Ukraine. There's bipartisan support to sanction Russia now. They're dismembering the Ukraine by the invasion, the threat of invasion. It's 2022, for God's sake. You can't get your way by threatening to invade a country. So punish Putin now. More weapons to the Ukraine now so they can defend themselves. More economic aid to the Ukrainian economy so they can, they can deal with the threat of invasion uh, and more troops uh, to NATO. As Putin tries to dismantle NATO and divide NATO, I support President Biden's decision to send more troops in to reinforce NATO. He's trying to destroy a neighboring democracy. He hates democracy, Putin. And I will just say this to, to President Putin. If you invade the Ukraine, you will destroy the ability of future presidents to treat you and Russia as normal. You'll long for the good old days of the Cold War, because every president in the future will pound you. Mm -hmm. And every Congress in the future will pound you if you dismantle this democracy. So be careful what you wish for, my friend.
1: Well, strong words there. Uh, We know President Biden is already looking at sanctions after an invasion. He's looking at sovereign debt sales, hitting oligarchs close to Vladimir Putin, the banks that handle critical industries, and on top of export import restrictions. Is this enough? Or are you saying you're pushing President Biden further.
7: Uh, the bipartisan working group uh, will uh, submit sanctions now. Look what Putin has done. He's, he's on dismantled. what specifically, though, He's you hurting want? the oh, uh, an array of pre invasion sanctions. Uh, the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is a cash cow for Putin, that'll probably be after the invasion knocking them out of financial systems that they will need to conduct business normally the swift program all of this is on the table but
1: the we european need to allies don't support now. that
7: it is 20. well uh, the congress has a different view here i want sanctions on putin's behavior now what is putin doing he's threatening Uh, He's wanting to get his way by threatening to invade a country. This is 2022, for God's sake. That's not Mm -hmm. the way to resolve disputes. So I think there'll be bipartisan support for sanctions now. There'll be bipartisan support for more more lethal aid now to the Ukraine, more economic uh, assistance to the government now. And I think there's bipartisan support to reinforce NATO.
1: Okay, well... In your version of a bill, what would trigger invasion, right? Because there's an array of options Vladimir Putin's looking at. Does a cyber attack trigger sanctions?
7: Uh, a cyber attack against the United States would be an act of war. Mm-hmm. And we shall respond in kind. I am tired of Putin, China, and North Korea attacking us. If they blew up a pipeline... That would be an act of war. Well, if you shut it down through a cyber attack, it's the same outcome. But a cyber so I attack would warn in my, my Russian uh, friends. Yeah. Well, any any attack on the sovereignty of a nation, any mm-hmm. attack on their critical infrastructure, any attack on their ability to do business. But he needs to be sanctioned now. What has he done? He's using the threat yeah. of force of arms to get his way. That should be outlawed in 2022. Listen, I want to support President Biden. TO to THE FULL EXTENT POSSIBLE, BUT THE CONGRESS IS READY TO SANCTION PUTIN NOW, BUT THERE WILL BE MORE SANCTIONS COME IF HE INVADES, AND I WILL END WITH THIS POINT. IF YOU INVADE THE UKRAINE, IF RUSSIA INVADES THE UKRAINE, NO FUTURE PRESIDENT, NO FUTURE CONGRESS WILL GIVE YOU A PASS. IT WILL CHANGE THE RELATIONSHIP FOREVER.
1: Uh, Senator, uh, more than 730 people have been charged by the Justice Department for their role in the attack on the Capitol on January 6th to stop the certification of our election. Last night, President Trump at a rally said this.
3: If I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly.
2: And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they
1: are being treated so unfairly. PARDONS? DO YOU AGREE?
7: YEAH. Uh, NO. I DON'T WANT TO SEND ANY SIGNAL uh, THAT IT WAS OKAY TO DEFile THE CAPITAL. THERE ARE OTHER GROUPS WITH CAUSES THAT MAY WANT TO GO DOWN THE VIOLENT PATH IF THESE PEOPLE GET PARDONED. But ISN'T THAT A DANGEROUS THING TO SAY? yeah. Well, I think it's inappropriate. I I don't want to reinforce that defiling the capital was okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do anything that would make this more likely in the future. And just let me finish my thought here. When Kamala Harris and her Uh, associates and the people that work for her, her staffers, raise money to bail out the rioters who uh, hit cops in the head and burned down stores. I didn't like that either. So I don't want to do anything from raising bail to pardoning people who take the law in their own hands because it will make more violence more likely. I want to deter people who did what on January the 6th. And those who did it, I hope they go to jail and get the book thrown at them because they deserve it.
1: That was clear. Uh, Senator, before I let you go, I want to ask you, um, the district attorney in Georgia has, in Fulton County, has gotten clearance to set up a grand jury to investigate President Trump. She says she wants to talk to you about that phone call you made to Georgia's secretary of state um, 10 days after the election. Are you going to cooperate?
7: Yeah, give me a call. Yeah, I talked, asked about how the system worked when it came to mail in uh, uh Balloting, the January 6th committee, uh, was not the 9-11 committee. After 9-11, we came together. We formed a bipartisan right. committee yeah. after the next election. I, I was talking so about Georgia, So what's going on though. in Georgia in January yep. the 6th? Yeah, yep. I know, but there's an effort here to use the law, uh, I think, inappropriately. So I don't know what they're going to do in Fulton County. I don't know what the January 6th committee is going to do. I expect those who defile the Capitol to be prosecuted. But there's a political movement using the law to try to knock Trump out of running. And I particularly hmm. don't like it or appreciate it.
1: Okay, Senator, thank you for joining us today. (laughs) We go now to Democratic Whip, Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina. Good morning to you, Congressman. Uh, You've been vocal in your endorsement of South Carolina Federal District Judge Michelle Childs. Uh, The White House acknowledged she's being looked at. Senator Graham just gave her a glowing recommendation. Have you spoken to President Biden about her?
8: Yes, I did several months ago. I have not spoken to him recently about her. I sent him, uh, or sent uh, the White House a letter 13 months ago, and uh, he and I have been talking about her for several months.
1: You and I are going to talk about her and the whole process more (laughs) in just a moment, but I have to hit this quick commercial break, and we'll have an extended conversation on the other side of it. Ahead on Face the Nation, more with Congressman Clyburn, top U.S. diplomat Victoria Nuland and the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States. More on the crisis with Russia.
5: Details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cash back really adds up.
1: Welcome back to Face the Nation. We continue our conversation now with Democratic Whip, Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina. Good morning to you again. Thank you for sticking with us through that break. Um, Well, thank you. You had just shared that you'd spoken to President Biden months ago with Michelle Childs, uh, a candidate we know for this potential spot on the Supreme Court. More broadly, you were the man who really exacted this promise during the campaign from President Biden. What do you think putting this kind of diversity on the court, the first black woman, does for the country?
8: Well, it says to every little child out there growing up uh, under moderate circumstances, uh, needing the entire community to help raise it, getting scholarships to go off to school because you couldn't afford to go otherwise, going to a public schools because you didn't get an offer from one of the big uh, private schools, uh, it says to them, you've got just as much of a chance uh, to benefit from the greatness of this country as everybody else. As you probably know, I have made it, the motto of my service, making America's greatness accessible and affordable for all Americans. And that's what this will do. That's the kind of conversation I had uh, with candidate Biden uh, way back when he running for president. In fact, we had those conversations when he was serving as vice president, that he uh, came up under modest circumstances, mm-hmm. Scranton, Pennsylvania, right. there in Delaware. And look, uh, he should have as much opportunity as everybody else. Right. That's one of the things that draw me to him.
1: WELL, WE KNOW THE PRESIDENT HAS SAID HE WILL MAKE HIS PICK PUBLIC BY THE END OF FEBRUARY. THAT FITS RIGHT NICELY WITH THAT MARCH 1ST uh, STATE OF THE UNION ADDRESS uh, AS WHIP. WHAT ELSE ARE YOU GOING TO BE ABLE TO DELIVER TO THE PRESIDENT TO uh, to SORT OF ANNOUNCE THAT DAY? CAN YOU REVIVE ANY PORTION OF BUILD BACK BETTER, WHICH IS COMPLETELY STALLED AT THE MOMENT?
8: I HOPE WE CAN. Uh, IT'S POSSIBLE. Uh, THE OPPONENTS OF THE BIG PACKAGE have talked about things that they can support. For instance, child tax credit. Uh, Joe Manchin has made it very clear that if we were to make it means-tested, he could uh, uh, agree to it. So that's means-tested. He's already uh, said that he agrees with us closing the so-called coverage gap so that those people who are eligible for Medicaid or are in states uh, that cannot, uh, Mm -hmm. did not expand Medicaid, that they will have health care. So if we can do those things, let's do them. By March 1st? I'm one who field. I'm sorry? By March 1st? Yes, we can do that by March 1st. You could do it next week. We go back, uh, or this week. We go back on uh, Tuesday. Uh, what I'm talking about could be done in several days, if not several hours.
1: We will be watching for that. Um, I want to ask you about something. I didn't say it was
8: going to be done. It can be done.
1: <laughs> well, we, we will watch you to see if it actually will be done, sir. Um, you've repeatedly said uh, that uh, black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party. Um, and you've talked about this Supreme Court nomination as the kind of things that Democrats may need. Um, you know the failure to get voting rights legislation passed, uh, the failure to agree on a police reform bill. Do you feel uh, that Democrats need this nomination and that it will make a difference going into the midterms, given these other promises were not delivered on?
8: I I certainly do believe that. I believed it two years ago. It is why I advised then-candidate Biden to put that into his campaign. If you recall, the first time he ever said that, was at the South Carolina debate, uh, the 25th of February in 2020. I remember I was there. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I advise that. Now, a lot of people told him not to do it, but his guts told him, as he told me, when you grow up with the kind of experiences the two of us have, have had, but then uh, your guts tell you something that sometimes people didn't have those experiences yeah. that would not feel, and so he did it. And well, it made all the difference in the world. It is still making a big difference.
1: Well, talking about those midterms uh, and the need for a win here, I want to ask you about Jamie Harrison, the head of the Democratic uh, Party right now. I know he worked for you for years on Capitol Hill. You're close to him. You're a mentor. Um, He's reportedly considering leaving that job ahead of the midterm races because of disagreements with the White House. Uh, Do you think the DNC needs new leadership?
8: I do not. I think he is exactly what we need uh, for this party at this particular junction. I also know he, like all of us in this business, he has his detractors. I have mine. And it doesn't mean uh, that he is wrong or they are wrong. It means that people have different approaches to doing things. And well, so Jamie Harrison is there. He will never run. What? He believes in fighting rather than switching.
1: You, you are being very diplomatic in your answer there. Back in November, you told the AP Jamie Harrison knows how to do the job. I fear he may not be allowed to do the job. He's being hamstrung by people who never ran for anything. Who are those people? Who's standing in his way?
8: I'm not going to name those people. I think you. Uh, it's not is it the what White I'm House. No, I'm not saying who it is, I am saying that all of us, I had the same problem. Every time I run for election, talking to my grandson just yesterday, telling me what he thought I ought to do, I says, now, when is the last time you've been out asking anybody for their vote? So we do not necessarily believe in all of the consultants and the people who run things. Jamie Harrison ran a very Mm -hmm. bruising race with the gentleman you just had on here. Uh, He knows what it is uh, to run. He knows what it is to lose, and I'm the same way. I lost three yes. times before I got elected. So I know what it is to, to, to lose an election, and I know what it is to come back from an election. So okay. Jamie Harrison is just what we need.
1: All right. Congressman, thank you for your time today.
8: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Turning now to the tensions in Ukraine. The diplomatic back and forth continues and NATO allies are considering sending more troops to the region. This as Moscow continues to ship weapons and equipment. Holly Williams is near Donetsk, close to the front lines.
6: Good morning, here in Eastern Ukraine, people do not seem to be panicking. And perhaps that's because they've been living with Russian aggression for years, but they are making preparations for a possible Russian invasion. More Russian fighter jets arrived in Belarus this week on Ukraine's northern border. Moscow says for military exercises next month. That's when President Biden believes there's a distinct possibility Russia could invade. The Secretary of Defense warned of unconventional well, good tactics good like staged um, incidents that stop Russia stop, could use as a pretext to distance, move in.
8: Now, this is straight out of the Russian playbook and they're not fooling us.
6: With tensions reaching a crescendo, Russia's President Vladimir Putin laid a wreath for the fallen during the Second World War. Russia still maintains it has no plans to invade its neighbour, but that doesn't explain the roughly 100,000 Russian troops massed on Ukraine's border. While Russian military drills on land and at sea have set off alarm bells. Experts say they've previously been a prelude to an incursion.
8: And Mr. Putin can do the right thing as well. There's no reason that this situation has to devolve into conflict. He can choose to de-escalate.
6: There are 8,500 American troops on heightened alert. NATO says it's sending more fighter jets and ships to reinforce Eastern Europe. And plane loads of U.S. military equipment have been arriving in Kiev, including Javelin anti-tank missiles. Ukraine's government is not ruling out an escalation, but continues to urge calm. The country's president, Vladimir Zelensky, accused other world leaders of sowing panic late last week and putting Ukraine's economy at risk. Margaret.
1: Holly Williams, thank you. We're now joined by Oksana Makarova ukraine's ambassador to the united states good morning to you ambassador thank you for being here
9: good morning good morning
1: the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff mark milley says he hasn't seen a military buildup like this since the cold war artillery ballistic missiles ground air forces he said the impact would be horrific if russia uses these but president Zelensky stood up and said russia may simply be applying psychological pressure why is your president downplaying the risk
9: Uh, We are not downplaying the risk. We actually see the situation the same way and we see the build-up and we also know what Russia is capable of because they have attacked us already. Since 2014, for eight years we are at war and we are defending our country. At the same time, in order to defend our country, we cannot afford to panic. We have to get ready, all of us not only our military, our very capable military and veterans, but also all civilians. So we know and we see what's going on. This is the reality with which we live for eight years. This is the reality, this recent escalation since April. So we monitor it, we assess it. We share the information with our friends and allies. We are very grateful for the United States, for very strong strong relations and strong response this time.
1: But your president said Ukraine's grateful for support, but I can't be like other politicians who are grateful to the United States just for being the United States. What does he mean by that? Because it sounds a lot like there's some friction here.
9: There is no friction. I mean, uh, look, we can have some discussions and we can have difference of opinions, but United States is our strategic partner and I would even say strategic friend, number one. Uh, Our relations, especially during the last year, has been at the highest level ever, I would say in 30 years.
1: But the White Um, House says, um, they issued a statement, at the same time President Zelensky is downplaying the risk of invasion, he's asking for hundreds of millions of dollars in weapons to defend against one. We think it's important to be open and candid about that threat?
9: We are open and candid, and we are discussing it with our partners here. Again, we just cannot afford to panic. Mm -hmm. So we are preparing for any options. Uh, And again, as I said, we know what Russians are capable of. But let's be very clear here. We know who aggressor is. Everyone knows who aggressor is. It's Russia. Mm -hmm. With the United States, especially, and with other partners and allies, we may have difference of opinions on when to introduce sanctions. We may have difference of opinions on uh, some issues, but those are friendly, open, and candid discussions. You do, and have we that... really value this.
1: I want to understand what you need now. What are you asking the White
9: House for? It's the same we have been asking uh, for eight years, but especially this year. You know, strong three levels of deterrence political economic and military defensive so strong political messages and we're very glad that uh, this year u.s. is actually take an active role in negotiations. But in terms of what you're asking U.S. taxpayers for, uh,
1: the chairman of your parliament wrote a letter to eight senators, including one of them on this program, asking for air defense, anti-ship, anti-armor capabilities, flexible loans, financing mechanisms. Is this a formal request from your government? Is what the White House giving you not sufficient?
9: Well, if you look at the statement by our presidents when they met in the White House, you will see a a number of these issues in the joint statement. You will also see it in the framework agreement that we signed. So we are merely discussing what we already agreed with the United States, and we're discussing how to implement it.
1: To be very clear, you are asking Congress and you're asking the White House to put sanctions on Russia right now,
9: not to wait for an invasion. Is that right? We ask both. Russia is there, Russia illegally occupied Crimea, Russia illegally occupies together with their controlled people parts of Donetsk and Lugansk territories, and they didn't change the behavior during the eight years. So yes, we believe the basis for sanctions is there. You
1: told me before you think a cyber attack will precede any military action. What exactly are you preparing for? Because the U.S. is warning this could have global impact.
9: Well, in addition to military attacks, we experience it since 2014, and especially now, Russia engages in cyber attacks, or all kinds of ha- hybrid war. Cyber, disinformation, all kinds of information campaigns. Recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a number of Ukrainian ministries have been attacked and defaced. Uh, the attack has been wider than that, and our security sources together with our uh, partners from the U.S. are looking at uh, that particular attack, but it's one of many. Mm -hmm. We are under constant attack, especially in the cyberspace. And we're trying everything possible and doing everything possible to strengthen our capabilities there as well. You're saying the war has
1: already started
9: in 2014 when (laughs) Crimea has been attacked and when Crimea has been illegally occupied or annexed as Russia says, that has been the, war, the, the start of the war. So
1: if Vladimir Putin does launch a further attack on Ukraine, do you believe he will stop
9: there? Well, the reason why Putin attacked us is not because he wants Ukraine, or only Ukraine. The reason he attacked us is because we have chosen to be a democracy, and we have the Euro-Atlantic and European aspirations. So it's an attack on democracy, And I believe nobody is safe if Ukraine will be attacked. We do not want to be part of the Soviet Union or the Russian Empire or the Russian Federation. We want to be sovereign, we are sovereign, and we are fighting for our independence. And if Ukraine will be further attacked by Russia, of course they will not stop after Ukraine. So that's why it's in the interest of Europe and all democratic uh, world Mm to help us to defend ourselves, but also to show that the international rule of law still works.
1: All right, Ambassador, thank you very much for your time today.
9: Thank you and thank you to all your viewers and all American people for support.
1: We'll be back in a moment. Temp Check, what kind of
0: summer are we having this year? excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. For 149 years, ADT has made the security of their customers a top priority, so you can have peace of mind that your home is protected. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products to help keep your home safe and smart. You'll be able to check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. Plus, With Nest Cams and the Nest Doorbell, you can get intelligent alerts, so you'll always receive notifications on what matters most. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT ASAP. Google Nest Cam and Nest Doorbell are trademarks of Google LLC. ADT. Brilliantly safe.
1: We go now to Victoria Newlands, the State Department Undersecretary for Political Affairs. Good morning to you, Ambassador.
10: Good morning, Margaret. Good to be with you.
1: Uh, we heard from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs this week that Russia has given itself the capability, if it wanted, for a full invasion, not just an incursion. Uh, what is the U.S. assessment at this point? Has Vladimir Putin made a decision on what to do next?
10: Margaret, we don't believe he's yet made a decision, but as he has done in the past, he's given himself every option, including, as the chairman said, uh, a massive potential invasion of all of Ukraine, including cyber attacks, including incursion from Belarus, where he is moving up to 30,000 troops there as well. So we have to be
1: prepared for all options. So there is no sign yet of any kind of de-escalation?
10: On the contrary, he's moved more forces since we've been encouraging him to de-escalate. That said, Margaret, uh, as you know, we did send our diplomatic proposal to Russia, as mm-hmm. did NATO this week. Uh, we've heard some signs that the Russians are interested in engaging on that proposal, uh, including uh, the fact that Secretary Blinken and Foreign Minister Lavrov will likely speak this week. So again, here's here's where we are. Uh, we want. Uh, to settle these issues through diplomacy, through arms control. Uh, Putin's given himself that option, but he's also given himself the option of a major invasion. So we have to be ready for that too.
1: How, how significant is the risk that Russia may deploy tactical nuclear weapons to, to the border? Is there any indication of that type of buildup?
10: Uh, we have not seen nuclear weapons move. Uh, there have been some loose talk from folks in Russia, but as you know, uh, Russia already has tactical nuclear weapons in Kaliningrad and elsewhere that can range Europe.
1: Exactly. I think that's an important point to make to show the potential of this kind of conflict. Can you sort of put in perspective what the strategy is here? Because President Biden has said he's not sending combat troops to Ukraine. He's talking about moving potentially a small number of troops into allied countries in the region. Is this about containing the threat from becoming a regional war?
10: Well, for... First of all, Margaret, with regard to uh, the diplomatic proposal, you know, Putin put forward and publicly all of the things that he's interested in, our response and NATO's response agrees to engage him on many of these things that you've talked about. We have said, let's talk about the medium and short-range missiles, the threat you feel from us, the threat we feel from you. Let's talk about how we can de-escalate uh with regard to exercises, with regard to military deployments. Let's have that conversation on a reciprocal basis. Um, but we also have to prepare, as I said. So what we've been doing is uh, first uh, given Ukraine the kinds of defensive lethal equipment that they need in order to be able to make this, if Russia makes that big mistake and moves in, a very bloody fight and slow Moscow's role. So defensive lethal equipment like anti-tank, Uh, Mm -hmm. like anti-air, all of these kinds of things. Uh, We have also worked with our European allies on a massive package of economic sanctions so that if he does move on Ukraine, uh, he will feel it acutely, as will the Russian people, in terms of their economy. Uh, It will uh, have a crushing blow on them. Um, and we are also preparing within NATO territory, because obviously we have a sacred and sovereign responsibility to protect our NATO allies. And with the kind of forces that he's moving, they are coming also closer to the borders of our Baltic allies, Poland, Romania, Hungary. So we have to be ready.
1: Understood. Um, Ukraine's President Zelensky said Friday that his country is aware of these risks, but they don't want panic. Um Do you feel that is what the White House is doing here? Have you resolved this kind of friction with the Ukrainians? You don't want to have divide with an ally here.
10: Uh, Panic is not a policy. As uh, one of my bosses once said, what we need to do is prudent planning. And that's what we are doing. That's what our NATO allies are doing. That's what we are encouraging Ukraine uh, to do as well. So, uh, you know, given that Putin has made these moves before, even as we encourage diplomacy, we have to be ready for the worst.
1: Well, it appears that the Senate is also nearing a bipartisan agreement on a package of sanctions, uh, some of which would hit Russia now some post-invasion. Administra- post the administration has wanted to wait and hold on to sanctions as leverage. Uh, d- d- will the president veto this bill? I mean, What would the impact be?
10: Uh, we are working intensively with the Congress on this piece of legislation. It, uh, we expect will be very well aligned with what we are also building with our NATO allies and partners. I would say that one of the strengths uh, of U.S. policy vis-a-vis Ukraine going back uh, some 30 years, but particularly in this instance, has been that we've had a really strong bipartisan approach uh, to supporting Ukraine. We've had members of Congress out there regularly over the last couple of weeks. Um, But with regard to this package of sanctions, You know, deterrence is best when there's a little bit of strategic ambiguity around exactly what we are going to do. So we've said financial measures, we've said export controls, we've Mm -hmm. said new sanctions on Russian elites. But if we put them on the table now, then Russia will be able to uh, start mitigating. And and that doesn't make any sense
1: to us. Ambassador Newland, thank you for your time today. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, Democratic Congressman James Clyburn, the State Department's Undersecretary for Political Affairs, Ambassador Toria Newland, and Ukraine's Ambassador to the United States, Oksana Markarova. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also on our digital network, CBSN, at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time every Sunday.
2: Always on the go. Now you can take CBS Mornings with you. Wake up to your daily dose of news and interviews with today's leading figures in politics, business and entertainment. in the CBS Mornings on the go podcast available every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital edition, wherever you get your books.
0: It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning, multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist,